0: episode 464 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I interview Matthew Rathel of Graphite Lab and asked them about the design and development of the dexterity-based precise platformer game, Mr. Run and Jump. I had a really great time chatting to Matt about this very well-designed, yet very difficult game that is Mr. Run and Jump. It does celebrate the act of being able to launch a little character from the screen on a screen from one platform to another. It's been around for decades. In fact, that's one of the earliest forms of video games ever made outside, of course, games like Space War, which is probably one of the very, very, very first, I think. History aside, let's talk about the now. In Mr. Run and Jump you are playing his little fellow who is Mr. Run and Jump who's basically trying to find his dog who's run off. His dog's called Leap. And we do chat about the motivations why the player is hurling themselves against the rocks that is the difficulty spikes that we once encountered many many times in Mr. Run and Jump but like I said it's unabashed in its difficulty. It's It stands by its work kind of thing. It's like, yes, this is a challenge. I present to you a challenge and you need to embrace it. However, there are lots of quality of life things that exist in this game that ease the passage from one place to the other, saying, you know, I know you you find this difficult, aren't you? Here's, Here's a breadcrumb. Here's some help. And it doesn't give it to you immediately, but if it sees that you're struggling then it presents you with a thing, which we talk about in the show. Um, And it's rather clever, because it's basically saying, you're you're struggling here, Here's, here's 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 a helping hand. And then he can move on, rather than being bogged down and frustrated and bouncing off the game and moving on to something else. So, without further ado, let's listen to me, from the relatively recent past, talk to Matt about the creation of Mr Run and Jump. Chris, take it away. Hello, Matt.
1: Hi, Chris. Can you tell us who you are and what you do? I'm Matt Rathel. I'm studio director and owner of a company called Graphite Lab.
0: Oh, indeed. And can you tell us, how did you make your start making video games?
1: Well, I got a uh, collegiate degree doing 3D modeling. And as a 3D modeler, I saw that as my break into the industry and I answered a job posting uh, for a 3D modeler position uh, in kind of the the town where I went to school. Uh, this is a very small town in southern uh, Missouri, which is in the central U.S. And uh, I was quite shocked to find out that there was a video game development company starting in such a small town. Um, but I answered the post. Um, I submitted a portfolio. Uh, And I was selected as the eighth employee of a company called Black Lantern Studios, uh, which would wind up doing uh, PC, Game Boy Advance, Nintendo DS, Wii, and all other kinds of video games over the years. So that's how I got my start as a 3D modeler working on PC and handheld games.
0: That's quite an auspicious start. And then here you are um, talking to me now many years later. When was that? Could you give us a date?
1: 2004. So I'm working on my 20th year. Uh, So in July of of 2024, I'll have made uh, my 20th year uh, developing video games.
0: Quite a history. So over those years, you must have been influenced by something, some things or many things would have driven you or you may have been found yourself orbiting a certain thing. Could you tell us what that might be or what those may be?
1: Well, my earliest influences would have been when I was young. Uh, The Nintendo Entertainment System, the Sega Genesis, with franchises like Mario and Zelda and Sonic. These were the games that I played when I was growing up. And it was those earliest games that really inspired me to want to pursue video games at all. I was artistically inclined. And when I was younger, games were presented as this technical wizardry that probably artists like me would never have a chance doing. Um So, as I grew up, um, I was a fan of games, but I never knew if I was ever going to really make them because I just wasn 't you know inclined to do the the real hardcore math and science and other things like that that were being told to me were needed to make games. so my earliest inspirations were as a gamer uh these fantastic franchises that are still around today. once I started development, this was again two thousand four, so I would have been playing games like. Warcraft three, probably I was playing modifications like Dota and other games like that uh, day in and day out. Uh, I was big into RPGs and other games that if you look at our portfolio, we don't make those types of games. So it's a little incongruent um, until some of the games that we're making present day start to show influences from Mario and Sonic and so forth. Um, So, uh, so yeah, that's kind of uh, how the influences uh, show up in my, I guess, in my career.
0: So it's the act of playing, being a player of games, thinking that you needed to know assembly to be a creator in the first place. Yeah. And granted, in well, the 70s yeah. that and 80s, that was true. But thankfully, that uh, that went away in the invention of high-level languages and what have you.
1: But we get Certainly so. Yeah, and I would end up picking up some of those languages, you know, writing in, in certain, um, you know, doing some scripting, especially when it became necessary to creating the the visuals so coding interfaces or doing kind of complex animations so i would pick it up over time but really my presence in the industry starts as an artist and then involves to become more of a producer uh, and studio owner
0: okay now next question it's a bit of a toughy and it can have multiple answers so don't worry what video game developer do you most admire and why
1: ooh i like that question you know, I've been a fan of Way Forward. Uh they're out in uh, Valencia, California, I believe. And I like Way Forward. Uh not only have we kind of run into them over our tenure growing as a studio, um, but Way Forward has a reputation for not just making their own games like the Shantae series, but they also do contract work for some really amazing brands. They were able to remaster DuckTales and they bring games like Contra Forward once again. Um, and that's a lot of my background too, is we did a lot of licensed titles, meaning we'll take brands like Transformers or uh, you know Tonka or any of these other kind of big uh, retail brands, uh, working with Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon, to name a few. And we turn those into the best possible video games we can. And I've seen WayForward do that really well. And so I like that they can show a kind of a contractual work for hire environment, as well as original properties. We try to model that at Graphite Lab. Um, So I have a lot of respect for what they do there. But I could answer this question a hundred different ways. There are many developers that I have a lot of respect for, um, especially some of the independent teams that have been growing. Uh, Red Hook with Darkest Dungeon, Team Cherry with Hollow Knight, uh, Yacht Club with Shovel Knight. These are all groups that we've come to to meet and know as an independent developer. So a lot of respect for our friends that are doing amazing things in the industry as well.
0: Excellent answer. Thank you for that. Um, You're right. The contract (laughs) stuff is not often spoken about because it's often almost ghostwritten. It's like hidden or buried. It's not right, but it's true. We hear about the lead developer and yet they brought teams, sometimes hundreds of people together. And you will only know it if you watch the
1: credits. And very much. Yeah, very true.
0: of even a little bit disheartening. It's why I always watch the credits on the bigger games. Like when I finished Assassin's Creed uh, Valhalla, I sat there, my friend, read every single name. Well, it's best I could. It's,
1: uh, yeah, it's amazing. Big some of these productions get. My experience is capped out, Oh, forty, fifty 40, 50 developers. That's about as big of a team that I've ever been a part of. So relatively small compared to an Assassin's Creed or a Starfield or something similar.
0: Indeed. Speaking of current games, which you just mentioned there, (laughs) what are you playing right now?
1: Oh, if I were to turn on any of my consoles or PC, um, I'm in the middle of a game called Sea of Stars. Um, It's from the developers of The Messenger. Uh, I believe it's Sabotage. Um, And it's a wonderful throwback to the 16-bit RPG era of games like From Square and others. Um, with a lot of modern trimmings, um, and just very, very well done. So I've been enjoying that one.
0: Yes, you're not the only guest that's raised that game, as the Sea of Stars is the one they're pointing out. It feels like a Mega Drive game, a little bit. I don't know why the color palette feels like one. Whether it's deliberate or not, I do not know. But the the, the guys behind it, they've been on the show too, when they were working on The Messenger all those years ago. Sure. It's al- also a wonderful game. But, yeah, yeah, it's
1: quite good. They're definitely showing a, a technique for, for story and narrative writing that doesn't take itself too seriously. Um, you know, they've got some real like genuine humor and some real awareness of the industry that shows through in their writing, uh, which I admire quite a lot. And I haven't seen since games like Earthbound and a couple of those other like kind of cheeky uh, style uh, presentations. So it's it's refreshing and fun to play through.
0: Well, well, it brings a close to part one of the show. You made it. Well done.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: Let's move on to the second second half of the show, where we're going to delve deep into Mr. Run and Jump.
1: Sounds good. Level two. Here we go.
0: Because the listener may not be aware, sadly, they should be, but they may not be.
1: So in your own words,
0: Matt, what is Mr. Run and Jump?
1: Mr. Run and Jump is a side-scrolling precision platformer. The player controls Mr. Run and Jump, a marshmallow-like amorphous character uh, that is running through the realms of color and chasing their dog Leap leap has scurried away and the character, the the player has to control Mr. Run and Jump in a variety of different stages, overcome obstacles, and really do exactly what it says on the tin. That is run and jump as fast as they can to get to the end of each stage. Heavily inspired by games like Super Meat Boy and Celeste and probably some others that uh, listeners might uh, draw a connection to, but it has got an arcade vibrance to it that we're really pleased with. And fans so far have really been responding well. It's available on just about every platform, so everything from Sony to Microsoft, uh, PC, and even the Atari BCS. And so far, the fan response has been really wonderful. They've been saying how difficult it is, so it is a challenging game. Um, But through all of that, uh, sharing some really warm stories of overcoming that challenge and, and being really satisfied with the outcome. So that's Mr. Run and Jump in a nutshell.
0: Indeed, although you did miss one very important part, you're actually, your ultimate aim of Mr. Run and Jump is to give Leap scratches, but he keeps running away. So <laughs> yeah. ultimately, you're for trying sure. to pet the dog, but he keeps running away. So unfortunately, it's not like Cerberus in Hades who just sits
1: there. <laughs> just slightly out of arm's reach. That's just, that's Leap for you. That's Leap yeah. for you. So
0: that's 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 the real goal for me. That's just to just to be clear, everyone. Do you get to pet the dog? Yes eventually
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the little slight fine print uh yeah um yeah so it's been fun there's this terrifying void that is threatening the world uh the realms of color so there is in a sense a bit of this a bit of this villain that's um you know causing this mysterious threat to the world and lots of different characters and enemies that are very reminiscent of the late um uh, uh, the early uh, and late 80s uh, video games. So there's, there's fun, you know, these Skulkin characters that are these floating skulls and the the Phils and, and Bobs and other kind of cheeky characters that might be reminiscent of that first gen of gaming. Um, so uh, very easy to pick up and play, um, but certainly difficult to master.
0: Oh, certainly, certainly. My first design question then, here it is. Trial and error. You may disagree with that summary, but that's what I found when I'm working my way through certain parts of Mr. Run and Jump. And it does seem to be encouraged or indeed embraced by yourselves. Like, it's okay to fail, you'll get back up again and have another go and maybe if you see it from this point of view, you realise actually, you know, you can make that jump, you're just not really hitting it at the right angle for example. But there is a tendency, those of us who don't have the hand-to-eye coordination they once had, that they get frustrated. And certainly precision platformers suffer from this one quite badly. Now, we all know Super Meat Boy overcame this by the instant refresh. But what have you done in Mr. Run and Jump to actually make sure that there's not a sense of, well, sort of frustration and then hence walk away, which you don't want to happen? Sure.
1: Uh, I'm glad you asked this question because we recognize that there'd be some challenge, but we wanted to make the game accessible to a wide audience. So there's a few things that we've done. Uh, The first is simple tutorialization. So we have a character, Mr. Watch and Learn. And should the player choose, they can talk to Mr. Watch and Learn and get a few tips, tricks, and techniques on how to overcome certain challenges. So some patterns of running and jumping or different techniques that might make it uh, easier to get through. Beyond that, we have these ghost trails, as we call them, which shows the player, in a ghosted sense, getting through certain challenges. So it might show that a leap and a dash and a dive, in that order, will get through a challenge. Uh, So those are there as kind of soft guides without stopping and pausing the player for conversation with Mr. Watch and Learn. But the one I'm really pleased with is we have accessibility options that the player can choose to turn on or choose to ignore that will do things like add additional checkpoints and even possibly drop uh, invincibility stars that if the player chooses to just kind of fly through a challenge, they can activate those things. So it puts a lot of the, the, the power in the player's hands. Um, So that way, you know, they can kind of tune the experience because I've been there before I've been up against a tough challenge in other games running out of time. I've got to go somewhere. I've got to leave. And I'm like, Oh, I would love to just get through this one thing. Um, And those changes came relatively late in development um, as we were playing the game and trying to find ways to really optimize the accessibility. Uh, these were design elements that we put in the, the later half of development. Um, they weren't something that we started with. So I'm pleased with them for those reasons.
0: My next point is about movement because the one thing about precision you know, um, platformers is, Is typically not all of them but typically they encourage the player to keep moving. Please keep moving. I know you don't I know you want to take a rest or just like please just keep going. And that is the the flow, you get that sort of zen like. And indeed there's lots of things in Mr. Run and Jump you do to actively and quite transparently encourage the player to go, just go, just go, it's fine, let's go. And indeed, that's my favourite time in Mr Run and Jump is when I'm in that place. Not often as much as it should be, my friend, but when it's there, it feels awesome. But what have you done? Can you describe for us the visual or indeed other cues you've used? Not just visual, so audio. The audio is amazing, by the way. Um, Thank you. All of those things. What have you done to encourage the player to go, oh, keep going, it's fine, keep going?
1: Sure. So... Maybe in a simple example is where we've placed the blue collectible shards. These are akin to, say, coins in a Mario game or rings in Sonic. And those shard placements are no accident. They appear in arcs and they indicate certain jump paths. um, And the player's stretch goal is to collect all of these shards in a single level. And so we use those a bit as crumbs to follow when completing some of these amazing jumps. Um, The second thing is, is we've really tuned from the very first production milestone the way that Mr. Run and Jump's moveset comes together. That is, you can go smoothly from a roll to a long jump. From a long jump, you can double jump and then dive. And the intention is that when you string all of those maneuvers together, you really feel like you're flying. And it's a satisfying feeling that you want to repeat over and over again. So if we give you hints with the shards, we really give you reinforcement with that exciting and satisfying feeling from when you do those jumps in sequence and you get through that difficult corridor, it really feels satisfying at the end. Um, so tuning the movement, being very conscious and deliberate with our level design, those are two things we did to make that process feel good.
0: And you done a fantastic job of it. Like there are times when I feel like I'm playing a pinball game, and that's great. <laughs> because sure. I, I am the ball and off I go and you've just got to see sure. where you're going to go because you can guide the ball. You are the ball. You can, it's, Certainly. It's, it's, it's wonderful. So For whether sure. that was deliberate or not, I don't know, but it worked.
1: <laughs> well, thank you so much. Yeah, certainly the efforts of several level designers uh, and game director John Makula overseeing that process to make sure that everything felt natural and in, in designing the levels as a creative task probably the single biggest investment of hours of on this game was tuning those levels to make sure they set up for those fun moments.
0: It leads me on to my next question, which is, I want to talk about the design of the enemies and other hazards in uh, Mr. Run and Jump. Could you talk us through some of the development, some of the ones that didn't quite make it, and some of the ones that did, and why? I, I love hearing about this because I'm sure a lot of stuff hit the cutting
1: room floor. There were a few. So, Mr. Run and Jump has a unique origin. Several years ago, the game director, uh, John McCoola, was making a hobby project for the Atari 2600. As a programmer, he wanted to climb Mount Everest, essentially, and develop a game using the most difficult method possible uh, and the origin of our industry, the Atari 2600 and assembly. So, he created Mr. Run and Jump years and years ago and conceive these enemies like the flying skulls called Skulkins um, and so on and so forth. Many of those uh, characters, like say the the crushums the that pound down on you from above, carried forward from that 2600 experience that he crafted years ago. But there were some others, like as you get into later levels, you'll see these uh, inflating type characters that kind of resemble like a aquatic blowfish Um Uh, These small darting bird characters uh, called gnats. These were new uh, enemies that we introduced into the modern version because we had the capability, because we had the, the technical freedom to do so. Um, So each of those enemies aims to test a different part of the player's ability, whether it's timing or rhythm or precision. Um, So, these gnats that zip around, for example, move very quickly, so it's a lot of like apprehension um anticipation, and then uh timing, for example um, so that's really how we design these enemies is to we want to create new challenge with each we don't want them to just be the same enemy but look different um, and we wanted to test some part of the player's ability with each of them
0: Oh, you do that certainly. <laughs> for sure yeah
1: yeah and then when we combine them it creates even a new feel and flavor so if you combine one of the you know the pattern-based skulkins with the inflating uh uh, enemies you know it it creates a different experience just by mixing those two kind of like ingredients in a recipe Uh, you know you put salt and pepper together it's a different feeling than if it's just one or the other
0: i want to talk about the visuals of mr run and jump we've been dancing around it a lot, but let's just focus on it right now. They are very vibrant. They really just glow and pop out of the screen and very everything is extremely clear. There's no blurring or any sort of you've deliberately done this, clearly. Sure. But you have also approached it, I believe, is less is more. That's what I get from you. It's, just, sure. it's, it's really um, making sure that the player is suitably informed. It's a common thread we find in when we talk about the design of games, is the player fairly and suitably informed, especially sure. in games like Mr. Run and Jump? And boy, is he, or are they, I should say. Can you talk us it's through us the evolution of the design? Does it always look like this? Did it go through lots of machinations, the different versions? Or was it always going to be like a spiritual sort of emulation of what you remember, or at least I'm slightly old, what you remember 2,600 games to look like?
1: So the the form of the character, the reliance on different colors to theme the worlds; these were things that carried forward from the twenty six hundred for sure. Going to this neon presentation obviously isn't achievable on a twenty six hundred. So there were artistic opportunities that opened themselves up when we start thinking about a PlayStation Five versus an Atari twenty six hundred for sure. Going to the neon presentation wasn't the first uh, attempt though, we, we, in our earliest of milestones explored different, uh, directions, some that took a more pixelated approach and others that explored some different, uh, visual combinations. Um, but there were, there were some things about the neon presentation that we really, uh, felt did the best job of, making the game feel modern, but maintaining a clarity and a visual complexity that we could manage. Um, Graphite as a team, we work pretty quickly on our games. These aren't 10-year endeavors. Uh, you know, We've been working on Mr. Run and Jump for about, oh, we'll say about a year and a half of core development, which isn't terribly long uh, considering all the platforms. Um, so we wanted to make sure that it was something that was achievable. We wanted to make sure that the visual style could make, and support different realms feeling unique. In the 2600 version, there are no trees. There are no temples. There are no jungles and vines. It's simply just color. Uh, So we knew that we wanted to theme these out, uh, inspired by different locales. So the blue world, for example, that shows up second uh, in the game has a factory feel to it. And uh, we wanted from the beginning to the end to really feel like you start in a safe place, the gardens of the violet world, And you move much uh, towards a more threatening place, these volcanic areas of Red World. Um, And so as we explore different visual styles, as we integrated things like Corona and Bloom to kind of make it feel vibrant, man, it really started to to turn, uh, you know, turn things on in that regard. Not all players were immediately warm to how vibrant it was though. So we did some player uh, feedback and testing cycles. And it's one of the reasons why some of the glow and the bloom features show up as settings that the player can adjust um, because we realized that that type of vibrance isn't for all players. We like it aesthetically. We think it makes for a great screenshot, Um, but all players are different and all players have different viewing experiences. Some play from a distance on a TV screen, and some are playing on their PC or a Steam Deck right in front. So um, having those exposed to player choice was, was again, something that we modified later on in development once we were able to share the game with some early testers, share it through events like Steam Next Fest, and get some feedback. So um, we're happy with the visual direction, but it certainly was in collaboration with our player base that we reached the final result that we're really happy with. Yeah. It's like you're playing a neon sign, great. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah. There, there is definitely some, some Neo feel to it. Uh, a neon feel, you know, the tagline, most people don't know this, but initially we called this version, Mr. Run and Jump Neo. Like it was like this new Neo slash neon version. And that was even played around with, Uh, as a title is potentially just calling it Mr. Run and Jump Neon as a way to distinguish it from the 2600 version. Um, We eventually uh, settled on just Mr. Run and Jump because this was indeed the first time that most audiences would know the game. So we call this one Mr. Run and Jump and refer to the 2600 version as Mr. Run and Jump 2600.
0: Nice. Okay. Okay. Well, Mr. Merlin Jump has been developed by Graphite Lab, as you've already said, and published by Atari, and is available on what
1: platforms? Stony platforms, including PS4 and 5, Microsoft platforms, so it's on Xbox One and the SX. Uh, It's available on the Nintendo Switch, on PC through Steam and Epic, and, of course, on the Atari BCS. Um, It's also going to be hitting retail with the 2600 version. So if you're looking to get in on the Atari 2600 plus, Mr. Run and Jump will be one of the cartridges available for that system right at launch. Um, And that one you can get on Amazon. So if we talk about being on all platforms, now we're including the Atari 2600, which is something I never thought I would say as someone born in the 80s uh, to be able to release on the 2600 goes all the way back to the very first console that I ever played, which is incredibly fulfilling. So you can play Mr. Run and Jump practically anywhere.
0: Awesome. Fantastic stuff. Well, Matt, it's been wonderful having you on the show. really has. You've been a fantastic guest. Thanks so much, Chris. You're more than welcome to come back and talk about what next is cooking in your heads. Um, We have a lot of return guests over the years. And, uh, yeah, we'd love to have you back on.
1: Great. Lots more coming out from Graphite Lab. Uh, we are connected to two other Atari properties that will be coming out this fall and, and the following spring. So um, we'd love to, to come back and to, to champion more incredible work from the partnership between Graphite and Atari.
0: Cool. Well, until then, thank you so
1: much. Thanks, Chris.
0: You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Kane & Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, kaneandrince.com